Springs. Nearly 500,000 people. Olympic City, USA. Garden of the Gods. Pikes Peak. It's a growing city. Our local government has a lot of employees. What exactly do they do? How does it impact my life? This is where you find out. Behind the Springs, an inside look at your local government. Thank you for listening to this episode of Behind the Springs. I'm Jen Schrader, and I realize you have all heard so much about COVID-19, but I believe um, this update will be worth your time. I'm fortunate enough to welcome um, Dr. Leon Kelly from the El Paso County Health Department. And Dr. Kelly, thanks for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Um, we've had your colleague, Dr. Johnson, on the podcast. This is your first time. We always like to introduce folks a little bit. Um, so if you don't mind telling us a little bit about yourself and and your role at the health department um, and kind of what that entails. Yeah, so, so thanks for having me today. Uh, my my role is a little bit different. Um, normally, I am the El Paso County Coroner um, and Chief Medical Examiner. So my job is to investigate all sudden unexpected or, or non-natural deaths. And I run that office and I'm one of the doctors who, who does the autopsy there. I've been, I've been at that office for oh, a little over 12 years. Um, and, and I've been the elected coroner now for... For a couple of years. Um, but one of the things that the coroner does is in charge of, of dealing with uh, deaths that, that are related to or can constitute some sort of public health threat. And so those would be, you know, any kind of industrial accident, but also infectious disease. And so with my time at the coroner's office, um, you know, we work with public health almost every day, whether it's, you know, teen suicides or substance abuse with the opioid crisis or homelessness or or any other many, many things that the, the, the coroner has to deal with, we're partners with them. And so I've worked with them now for, for many years. Uh, and then when kind of that middle of March came, uh, March 11th, actually, uh, when it became clear that COVID was, was here and in Colorado and very active, um, I reached out to the director of the public health department, Susan Whelan, who's a very, very good friend. And we've worked together on many, many things together. And I said, Hey, um, you know, let me know if you need a, a hand uh, with this. Is this going to get bad? And she said, yeah, it's going to get bad. This is going to be a lot of work. And um, that was that Wednesday afternoon on the 11th. And, and later that evening, I was on a panel discussing uh, teen suicide at UCCS. And we went in uh, for a two-hour kind of town hall, kind of the last large gathering I was a part of. Um, and I was on stage for a couple hours answering questions. And when we came out, everyone was like, you won't believe what happened. I said, well, what, like, what is this? 28 days later, are we like the last survivor? Like what happened in the two hours we we're in this room? And, you know, Europe is, is closed and, and uh, the NBA shut down and Tom Hanks has it. I'm like, oh, Tom Hanks, no. Like America's right, treasure, right? Right. right. <laughs> what chance do we have? Tom Hanks has right. it. And, um, and so on my that way home. That was a turning point for some yeah, people. Yeah, <laughs> it was a turning point. It was like got real when Tom Hanks got right. it, right? And so on my way home, um, Director Whelan called me and said, hey, this is really bad. I said, this is really bad. Can you be here at 8 a.m. the next morning? Which is the conversation we had to have with, with Mayor Southers and the organizers of, of the St. Patrick's Day Parade. Yes, and at that point, it was clear that we were we were uh, well into this thing. We had our ne first death the next day. The governor came down, and and I essentially never left public health from that point forward. Um, I was I was playing a role as as the deputy medical director, as one of only two physicians who are kind of in charge of of our approach and our strategies for dealing with this. But you're still in both those roles simultaneously yes. right now, which yes. is challenging, so, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, so I am I am the acting coroner. I did I did take April and I didn't do any autopsies that month. My folks, my doctors back at the office covered for me. 
but I have been acting as the coroner the entire time running the office. And then when, when May came, I went back to the office and I've been doing autopsies um, full-time since then. So I really have kind of two full-time um, positions that I'm, I'm, I'm covering. So my, my time is, uh, <laughs> my time is very limited, my free time. Right. That's for sure. We thank you for your time today. And I know you've got some good information for folks out there, um, the latest information, but, um, you know, knowing your, your two roles, can you talk about just what it's been like for you personally, um, through this pandemic and how you've handled it? You know, I asked the mayor that on the podcast also, how do you stay positive, hopeful, um, just kind of take it day by day is what he had kind of alluded to, but what's your strategy and how has it been for you? Yeah. So, you know, when you, when you're the coroner, um, stress and, and drama and tragedy is kind of like your bread and butter. That's what you do every day. So from that perspective, these major issues aren't, aren't new to me. Um, you know, there has been questions in the community like, Hey, how's this? Why is the coroner in charge of, you know, partially in charge of public health. Well, I'm a pathologist. That's what my job is. And so pathology is defined as the study of disease. So it actually is my profession to help deal with disease and diagnose it and, and help mitigate uh, its effects on, on the community. So what we are doing now isn't new to me. It's the setting is certainly different with the pandemic. And so this is what we're trained for. And so that certainly is a part of it. But certainly the intensity of it, um, the demands, the 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 level of, um, you know, uh, impact that the decisions we're making and the efforts have on every single person in our community is, is different. I don't think, and obviously none of us have lived through something like this. And so it's been a long, you know, four to five months of, of seven days a week, you know, 12 um, hours a day, really for long, long stretches. So I have a young family. Um, I have two little kids and, um, you know, last night I helped, coach uh, my son's minor league baseball game. So <laughs> all yeah. the kids are in the dugout. You know, we learned from the Miami Marlins two nights ago. They've now got, I think, 15 players and coaches positive. And Major League Baseball may not be with us for more than a couple more days. So we, we learned from those mistakes. But you got to find those moments, you know, of, of joy to remind yourself that while this is scary and difficult and we have a huge challenge, um, you know, we're going to be fine. We're going we're gonna to get through this. Yeah. And um, tell us a little bit about, you know, I know that most people know those critical steps that we can be taking right now as we should have been taking throughout this whole pandemic, whether you're just getting on board right now or you've been on board the whole time. Welcome. Thank you. Stay with us. Um, but wearing masks, distancing, hand washing, hand sanitizing, avoiding those large gatherings, um, which really aren't going on hopefully too much. Um, but what else do people need to be aware of right now in terms of data and just information that will be helpful to them? Yeah, we, this, this has been a difficult, um, time, right? You know, we've, we, we, as uh, in Colorado Springs, right out of the gate, um, kind of took a, a big shot with the bridge tournament and uh, a large number of cases in a very vulnerable population and a group of people that were very well connected. I mean, these were, these were many individuals that a lot of us had looked up to that were really pillars of the community. And suddenly right out of the gate, we've got this, we had, um, because of that vulnerable population, older folks who got it first here, we had really massive, uh, massively high fatality rates, um, actually at the top 10 in the country for, for counties. But we worked really hard, and I think that woke up a lot of people uh, that, of what we were dealing with and what we were up against. And we had a tremendous amount of success um, bringing the rates of viral transmission down, our hospitalizations down um, throughout much of the spring and then early summer. 
uh, which is what allowed us to open things back up again and uh, kind of, you know, all those metrics that the, that the CDC and, um, and the coronavirus task force at the federal level said, hey, here's the things you need to meet. We met them. Right. And so we, we certainly earned the right to open our community and our economy back up. We were in very good place, so we were able to actually open things that other communities in Colorado weren't able to do. But, um, you know, it's a little bit like a scholarship. You earn the scholarship, right? And then you go, you, you get the opportunity to do some cool things, but you got to keep the grades up to keep it. And unfortunately, we have not kept the grades up <laughs> over the last, uh, last six weeks. And so now we're in a place where um, we are on the edge of, of having to walk some of those things back, which obviously none of us, none of us want to do. So I think my message for the community is that, you know, this all comes down to literally individuals. Um, it's not nothing the mayor Southers can do, nothing I can do. Um, you know, nothing public health department can do that can fix this problem. I can fix this challenge. The only thing we have at this point is to use those simple tools that we have, make good decisions um, moving forward. Every single person is going to play a role in, in success and failure um, moving forward. It's literally a choice. It is. Right. It, it comes down to choices every single day. Um, and some people are in positions, maybe they have a job that is, it pays hourly and they got to pay their rent. And, you know, they feel sick and they, they feel like they, they have no choice to do it. Um, it's those kinds of people we, and those kind of frontline work uh, that we, that the rest of us who um, maybe have jobs who we can stay home and do Zoom calls all day. Um, we need to make sure we're doing the right thing so that some of the, so that the virus level is low so that those people who don't have that luxury, who are out there on the front lines, our healthcare workers, our first responders, our, our, you know, our retail workers, our grocery workers, um, have a safe of environment in the community as to possible. To take those risks. That's exactly right. Right. And I know you've been peppered with questions about schools um, reopening, and that's the big debate among parents and just the country in general, it seems right now, um, about what to do, what to do. There really is no perfect solution, obviously. Um, but where do we sit right now in El Paso County? Yeah, so schools schools really are the last massive piece of this nearly impossible <laughs> to assemble puzzle. Mm -hmm. um, and so when we look at schools, there's there's things that we have that are reassuring. We know that from now, you know, many months of this of of great data and 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 research that kids, particularly those less than ten, do really, really well with this virus. It's, it's really not much more significant than others, a seasonal influenza in that particular age group, not obviously for other age groups or other situations, but in that age group, they do really, really well. Um, we also know that those, in, those, those young folks are less likely to get it. When they do get it, they're less likely to spread it to their, their family members. Um, great research that came out of South Korea just this last week or the week before showing that. And so we feel very confident um, in, in our, in our young kids. Um, so we, that includes daycares, you know, I should point out preschools yep, preschool and, and all those, elementary, those situations. Yeah. And we've had, and we've had childcare going on this um, whole throughout. time, mm -hmm. um, not only in Colorado, but across the, across the country. So those are, re, those are reassuring things. We, we have, we know that's that to be true. Um, we also know that there are many other countries around the world who have done this successfully. They have brought their kids back into school and, and had, um, huge success with it and, and very little impact on transmission, minimal issues with outbreaks um, and, and having to shut schools down or roll things back. So that's, that's wonderful. The things that aren't good is that nearly all of those countries who've done that, who've done open schools successfully, have done so in a background of very low viral transmission in their community. 
They have decreasing cases. They have decreasing hospitalizations. That's not where we are. And so we're trying to do something that really nobody else has done, um, short of a couple countries of, with mixed success, one being Sweden um, and another being Israel, um, where Sweden showed that you know, their teachers didn't get it more than other kind of frontline workers. Um, Israel, on the other hand, had several outbreaks associated with schools that they had to um, close some of them down for a brief period. And so the, the data on where we're coming from, the situation we have, is very, very different. And so one of the things is that people think, well, you know, schools, can, we can write guidance and we can give all these rules, and, and, and we will, and I have, and we do. But um, it gives our, chance, our schools very little chance of success to send kids from a high transmission rate community into a school and expect it to be different. It's just not realistic. And so we're balancing the, 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 the clear benefits of in-person learning. Not one teacher, one parent, one person is going to doubt that in-person learning is the best option. But you can't do that unless you're, it, it's safe, not only for the kids, but for the teachers, which is the part that's, that, that is really the part that keeps me up at night yes. um, when I worry. I'm not worried about the little kids. They're going to do great. It's the teachers and maybe the older grandma that lives at home with the kids that I'm, that I'm worried about. Um, if we're going to give them the best chance of success, the only way to do that, truly, is by limiting the spread in the community, doing the work on the front end so that we're sending kids and teachers and, and cafeteria workers and bus drivers and, and faculty and admin people from a, commu- a healthy community into a healthy school. That's really the only, that's the, really the only meaningful way we're going to be successful. And I mean, it comes right back to what you had just said. So it comes right back to individual choices and as a community correcting or bringing down our numbers. That's absolutely so, right. And it, yeah. it comes down to, you know, all parents want their kids in school. Well, what are you doing at home, right? What are you doing in the community? How are you behaving um, when you're out and about? And are you going to gatherings? You're the one that's investing your energy and time um, and good behavior and following um, the recommendations. That's what allows us to get those kids in school, not the other way around. There's nothing the schools are going to do. They're going to allow you to get those kids in there safely. It's All of a sudden, family. here's this rule. Okay, now it's safe. That's not going to happen. It's right. not going to happen. Right. We're not going to be, be in a nice. position where, that's, where we're going to get a number where that's it. Um, we, it needs to be <laughs> vigilance every minute of every day. And we are lucky that some of the school districts will or perhaps might offer these choices of hybrid or in-person or online. And online may work for some folks, but like you said, it simply won't for others. So it is a it is a tough position to be in. It is, yeah. yeah. And, and the part that people think is, well, we, we got to get kids in school. Well, yeah, that's awesome. I can We can load them up on buses and drop them off at school. Uh, and we can get them in school, but how do we keep them in school? Right. Because the second we have one teacher or, or one bus driver or one student um, sick with COVID and diagnosed, now because they've had exposure to all those individuals, you know, you're, you're kidding. All those kids now have to be out of school for 14 days. You have one teacher that shows up and they have a staff meeting or they're hanging out in the teacher's lounge. And now you've impacted 10 or 15 or 20 teachers. Your school's done. Overnight, you don't have the ability to have in-person schooling anymore. So we don't want that sort of yo-yo scenario where we go in for two days and we go. I mean, look at Major League Baseball. They made it four four days right. before they had a major outbreak that may have shut down the entire season. Um, and we'll see how that goes. But, you know, we are truly asking our schools to do the impossible 
um, to keep a virus out of a school that we haven't been able to control in the community if we're not willing to, to put in the work in the community. So at this point, are, are we in a wait and see holding pattern with schools? Or I know we've got some time until they start. So We do. We, the schools, we, we all kind of collectively agree that we needed a little bit more time to see where the numbers go. You know, we, the mask mandate for Colorado just went in you know, a little over a week ago. And so that's going to take some time to see the impact of that. We've seen tremendous success in other communities who've, who've initiated that, um, that, uh, that intervention strategy mm-hmm. almost immediately, fairly dramatic reductions in transmission. And so we're really hoping that that piece is, is, is going to be something that drives us finally kind of in the right direction. Because we've done this. We did, we did it successfully for several months. We brought down the virus. So we know our community can do it. They can make the commitment. We haven't done it, though, with the level of um, engagement that we had, right? It's easy to do it when you make people stay at home. Um, you send everybody there and the virus doesn't have anywhere to go. It's much harder and it comes down to individual choices when it's when we're all out in the community. And that's the part that we need to show we have the ability to do. It's interesting. Mayor had said that when things started opening up and saying it's a lot harder when there's places to go, there was nowhere to go before. Now you do have that choice of what are you going to, what are you going to do? Who are you going to see? How big is your circle going to be, so to speak? It's exactly um, right. All of this is really just one giant math problem. Right. <laughs> and the, the number of Makes your head spin a little bit, it, yeah. It does, but it's also, you can distill it down into some pretty simple uh, strategies and some simple actions that you can take. Okay, well, thank you. And um, we just want to remind you, you've probably seen some of the Mask Up COS billboards and social media messages and that kind of thing. Uh, We're definitely not letting up the gas on those. So uh, please follow the city of COS. Please follow El Paso County Health Department. Um, And Dr. Kill, if you could um, offer a word too, just about how important it it remains to follow those credible sources. I know there's a lot out there on social media. People be bombarded by information. Um, You know, just how critical it is to... uh, First of all, limit your intake so that you stay sane, but also to really stay with El Paso County Health and those type of sources, right? I mean, it's, it's critical. It, and that's been one of our kind of biggest challenges um, from the beginning of this is when we, when we don't know anything, right? Because this is new. It's a novel coronavirus, meaning it's a new virus. We don't have all the answers. That's how science works. You don't graduate from science college and, and have a book of science that tells you all the answers. We, we have to figure it out along the way. And in that vacuum of, of scientific certainty early on, many um, honestly dangerous um, misconceptions and conspiracy theories sort of grew. And we have spent a tremendous amount of time and energy at public health, not only locally, but across the country is fighting those, those misconceptions that some are humorous. Um, some, you know, are not serious. Even right. I, initially, you're like, that's the ridic- most ridiculous thing I've ever, how can anybody believe that? Um, all the way to things that truly are endangering people's lives, not only just lives, but the economy itself. Like we're all trying to get to the same place. And for the life of me, I can't understand why, why people would spread information that see, is like, even on the surface seems ridiculous, but yet some people really believe that is acting in direct conflict with what we all want, right. <laughs> which is to keep people healthy, keep hospitalizations low, get us back out there in the world, get our, get our economy and our jobs and all that happening. Why would you continue to propagate untruths that are only hurting the thing that we all want, that you want, even as you're kind of spreading that information? So, I mean, I just, that's one of my big pleases is just to, to citizens, like, <laughs> if you don't know something to be true, if it didn't come from a, a truly legitimate, reputable source, and it isn't 
helpful to the community. Please don't spread it around. Um, you have individuals who, who maybe are more less likely to accept the reality that we're living in, which it's a scary reality. And so when you have situations like that, really, really dangerous um, misinformation can can really negatively impact people's lives. I mean, we see it all the time. We see it at our small businesses with, you know, people being upset about having to wear masks and and these kinds of things. And the number of, of posts and YouTube videos that people send me as kind of one of the people who's the face of this thing um, can often be funny, but other times is, is honestly terrifying. Right. That there are people who are who are passing this on and propagating and, and truly believe it. So yes, you know, get get your get your news, get your information. One, you know, turn it off. Like, right? It's it's right. Not, even for me. I have to deal with it all day long. It's I mean, not this podcast, but everything else, right? But, <laughs> but yeah, um, take some mental sanity. I, I wanted to say that to some people, just like get off Facebook, right. and go outside. Yes, just be in the sunshine. Yes. Spend time with your families. Look at the trees and the clouds. Remind yourself what it, what the what it means to be. What we're all fighting for. What we're all fighting for. That, mm-hmm. That's what we're trying to get back. And and if you're gonna spread, if you're going to spread something, spread. Um, good, information good information and some hope, right? Empowerment, yeah, yeah. like in terms of what can we do? There's so many incredible things that have happened in the last four to five months of people coming together and, and helping neighbors. And those are the things that we really need to, uh, you know, you think about when, when, when the masks recommendations first came out, how many people, churches and these folks started sewing masks. And somehow we went from that sort of sense of community to people throwing, throwing temper tantrums at Trader Joe's right. <laughs> about having to wear We got to bring it back in. We got to yeah. bring it back in and remember yeah. what this is all about, which is, you know, committing to your country and your community and your, your, um, your, your, your neighbors um, and, and helping do what you can, even if it's small, to help us all in this. Thank you so much um, for your time. I appreciate it. And the information that's very helpful to people. Um, good, credible information. And speaking of collaboration, El Paso County Health, um, you know, should definitely get a huge nod for their collaboration with the community, including the city, the county, um, small businesses, uh, partners across the city. And that's been instrumental too. We've been a great example of how to work together um, to get things done. So hopefully that'll continue to happen. So please, um, elpasocountyhealth.org is a great site for information if you have not visited that. And we always encourage you to email us with questions you may have after this podcast or future topics you would like to hear about behind the springs at coloradosprings.gov. Thanks so much for listening and watching on Facebook and we'll be with you again soon. 